little slow this morning, Jake. A little slow. You get your coffee? It, I'm working on it. I'm working on working it. Working on it. How about you? <laughs> I uh, I tried to make an espresso and it it exploded my espresso maker. So uh, shout out to my friend Andy. He got me my first espresso maker as a wedding present. Uh, I was like a hundred and fifty dollar espresso maker, and and now I think it's finally kicked the bucket. Um, which means I I have to enter the four thousand dollar espresso machine market. It's not four thousand dollars. Okay, all right. They can be, but I <laughs> I wasn't making like a veiled comment at you. <laughs> mine was. I mean, mine was pri- the, one of the most pricey things I've ever bought for myself outside of music. Probably more care. expensive than your first car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> I I would say like the entry point to like good espresso is like five hundred bucks. Yeah, um, that's fair. Without the grinder, a grinder, then you need another, you know, three hundred bucks, two, yeah. two or three hundred bucks on top of that. So, you you you're definitely getting there. But I mean, these things should not crap out in uh, four years. So, yeah, it's, it's has an it been investment. four years since your wedding? It's been like four and a half. Yeah, yeah, four and a half. Crazy. I like in my mind, I was picturing a number more like two or three, and then I just like arbitrarily. At, upped it because i was like you were probably like, longer than few. i think <laughs> I, I pretty much hit it so there you go there you Years. go congratulations you go. congratulations <laughs> just on a random september day hey congrats on four years <laughs> of marriage buddy <laughs> hey welcome to the show we're bad wallpaper we've got a plan to create an album in one year by writing some music every week we'll take our favorites expand them into full songs and then record our album at the end of a year You can follow along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please, if you're enjoying the show, subscribe and give us a review. And follow us on Twitter at bad underscore wallpaper and on Instagram at bad.wallpaper.band. Jared, you are coming to Boston in less than a week now. Yes, sir. We might have to make plans for a live episode. I mean, when I say a live episode, just like two assholes sitting in a room, like talking about guitars. It's funny. At first, I thought you were just saying that we should make plans to like hang out. <laughs> oh yeah, you're like, hey, you want to come by and like we can. Uh, I don't know. My schedule's kind of full, Jake. I don't know if I can. <laughs> I'll I'll like work around your schedule. You know, and you gotta. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you keep uh, gonna keep you on the edge. You know, is it gonna happen? Like, am I, is it is is our friendship at that level? <laughs> yeah you're like oh i guess i'll be in the neighborhood uh we can grab a coffee or something before we go do our real stuff yeah exactly <laughs> no live <sighs> episode sounds sounds pretty good i mean and if that it's probably the only opportunity to keep on track so <laughs> yeah um, it's just been like crazy this whole fall yeah uh, i've had visitors like last like we had to skip a week last week because i had more visitors in town now I got to deal with my stupid college roommate coming into town. Yeah. Deal with that. It's the joke that everyone makes about college roommates. They show up at the most inconvenient time. <laughs> You're like, dude, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Hey, can I crash on your couch? No. <sighs> Fine. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best part, though, is that our spouses like we both met our spouses in college and they know each other too because i think that's part of like the joke you know is oh my college friends coming over you know the one that like 
I have all these stories about, but you've never met. And all you know <laughs> is that we got in a lot of trouble all the time. <laughs> like, right. Like, all you I know could, is they're kind of annoying from the last time you met them or talked yeah. to them. Yeah. So, yeah. Although my wife is always like, don't like just ditch the wives and go like giggle in your own little room for the whole trip. <laughs> She's like, you always ignore me when Jared's around. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of fair. Sorry. Yeah. I I can't remember if I've told the story of uh, how I literally like threw my wife on the ground last one of the times we hung out. <laughs> I don't think you need to tell that story of tackling your wife for not wanting to watch a horror movie. Got to do what you got to do. So did you do your homework, Jake? What's my homework? Uh, I have 10 of my favorite 90s albums ready to submit oh, to the Pitchfork no. Best 90s music of the year readers poll i what did i just say 90s music of the year 90s music of the year hey it's it's 2022's best 90s music yeah top 10 so i i tried to think about this a little bit but i i wasn't like musically conscious in the 90s so it's all like retconning all my favorite albums from the 90s that i discovered when i was somewhere between like 16 and 28 yep uh, that that's where i was arriving at too and honestly my first thought was like dookie by green day (laughs) yeah sure americana by the offspring (laughs) it it was gonna be a weird list so kind of eclectic yeah yeah mostly because you know the things i was listening to when i was like eight no i mean that's not true it was like the things i was listening to when i was like 14 which was right that were just old enough closer to the 90s yeah (laughs) Yeah, and then, I mean, when I was in high school, I went on a run of, like, getting super into old Modest Mouse albums and Built to Spill albums and all that nonsense. But I I wasn't cool enough to listen to that in the 90s. Yeah. I wasn't, like, seven years old listening to Bug by Dinosaur Jr. I mean, and that's how it works. Like, the things that define the cultural touchstones of 90s babies all happen in the 2000s. And... It's, I mean, that's just how it works. And it's interesting to think about, like my daughter, like the things that are going to define her generation are still like eight years out. (laughs) That's true. So yeah, pretty. And we're going to complain about it when that happens. Music, music was much better back in our day. (laughs) I mean, it's on an interesting trajectory. (laughs) More and more, I'm realizing that the scene is shifting under under my feet even with i I don't did we talk about this too but like even like the hip-hop music that i like is considered like dad rock essentially now (laughs) yeah oh absolutely um like the uh alchemist most recent one the elephant man's bones rock marciano and the alchemist did you catch that one i did not because i'm old (laughs) <laughs> well it's old people hip-hop so oh okay cool you'd, cool you would like it <laughs> sounds great but uh that's how it goes these days yeah i mean it's the classic uh grandpa simpson i used to be with it and then they changed what it was and now i wasn't with it and i i'm scared and it seems weird and it'll happen to you you want to know what else i am not with what are you not with dynamic ticket pricing oh i forgot to write this down but i was mad for you when you discovered this horrifying new world we live in appreciate it appreciate it so 
the backstory is uh, Modest Mouse. They're they're doing a anniversary tour for the Lonesome Crowded West album. Which I did get my tickets. I thought I missed out, but I got my tickets, and they were not dynamically priced. Just wanted to get that out there. You yeah, I'm I'm so happy for you. So the they're playing three nights of shows in Seattle. But it, it is at like a you know it's it's a it's the medium sized venue. It's I would say it's like the pageant, you know. Yeah, it's it's the medium sized venue, right? Yeah, and I mean they they have the capacity to to be like small like arena sized band now. So mm-hmm. you know this is like obviously there was going to be more demand even with three nights of shows, but. Logged on, got, you know, there's like the virtual queue. I, I was there on two devices exactly whenever the tickets went on and <laughs> didn't get didn't get a ticket. Immediately sold out at the like $40 uh, list price. And so, you know, that happens. Um, I was a little bummed, but I was like, you know, I'll check back later. Sometimes like they release more tickets uh, later and... Yada, yada, yada. Uh, I logged back on a couple days later and nope, still no tickets. But then I noticed there's like this second category. And oh, what's this? Yeah, what, what's this? And it it surprised me because it wasn't, it obviously wasn't the like, you could buy second hand, which mm-hmm, means you're just buying mm-hmm. the scalp tickets that people, people bought right away. It was like, it said, uh, I can't remember exactly what the terminology was, but essentially it was like dynamic priced and like it had a, like a little hover over and it was like, Hey, what's this to give fans to give real <laughs> fans a second opportunity to buy tickets to really popular shows. We've introduced the ability for tickets to price dynamically based on the demand of the tickets. So the effect is they set aside extra tickets that they should have just sold at regular face value mm-hmm, and instead mm-hmm. they're gonna jank up the price to the point where people don't want to buy them right they just start selling them from the venue at scalper price <laughs> exactly it's just scalping i guess at this point with less steps i mean and the the upside would be if this extra money goes to the band I could see that as being a better alternative to scalping, but uh, I'm going to need more information on that before I can make any sort of uh, positive impact coming from this other than just Ticketmaster and the venues trying to to squeeze scalper prices out of people. Yeah, and apparently it was kind of an open secret that when tickets got scalped, it often was like an inside job anyway. Oh, sure. Um, And... And also, like it does, like essentially go to the artist. Okay, but it's it's a weird one-two thing because I mean, artists don't want to be known as the band that's like selling two hundred dollar <laughs> tickets that pushes away the real fans. Um, but in a real like market system, like oh, you know, capitalism, baby, like the tickets mm-hmm. have more value, mm-hmm. obviously, whenever they're selling secondhand for way above list price so it's just classic supply and demand problem i guess you know i'm not an economist i don't understand that shit but yeah and and they'll say oh it's too complicated it's actually good uh it's good that it's like this yeah i don't know man it's like i i feel like there's ways to make it so that real real fans quote unquote you know non-scalpers can get tickets easier 
uh, without jacking up the price. And that's by introducing more safeguards against things like bots and more safeguards against things like, you know, out of town people just buying up a ton of tickets. Like you can set limits, you can do certain things like uh, reserving some for in-person sales, but there's no incentive for Ticketmaster to do that. <laughs> it, it, it is funny that that's probably another like, we're just young enough that I literally never have gone through, I've never had to buy a ticket in person. Like oh, really? online ticket sales have just always been a thing. Like it's been an option to go to the actual box box mm-hmm. office, and I, and it actually like sometimes like is a benefit to do that. Yeah, you know, fewer fees and stuff like that. I still remember like buying tickets to go see the Foo Fighters at uh, Scott Trade Center. I was in like middle school or early high school, and I think for some reason you could go to like the grocery store and they had box offices. Like, I don't remember all the mechanics of this. I think instead of buying it online, you could go to the local grocery store and buy it from, like, the venue via schnooks or whatever. <laughs> so I still remember me and my high school buddies, like, hitching a ride to the grocery store at, like, 9 in the morning and kind of milling about waiting for the tickets to go on sale with, like, half a dozen other kids trying to buy Foo Fighters tickets. Does Scott Scott's trade arena even exist anymore well it's called like the enterprise center now oh i thought this was where the rams played no that that was the edward jones dome oh does that still exist (laughs) it's just just chilling it still exists but there's no there's nothing going on it's like a it's a uh it's like a convention center i still remember going to like the car show they would have the car show at the dome and they would just park the cars on the, the turf or they would roll the turf up and then uh, just put them on the concrete. One, one of the big music venues, um, it's where like 1975 plays and like Haim and Lizzo. Sure, sure. The, the big venue. Lizzo's probably upgraded out of it by now, but uh, they also do motocross shows there oh hell yeah so they fill it up with dirt and <laughs> sick to town I, I mean i've been to a few of those those are fun that's like you you find where all the all like the guys who wear monster energy hats they all come crawling out of the woodwork for those and you're like oh that's where all those guys are did you know monster energy was the best company to invest money in in the last like 10 years <laughs> huh they had like a 10,000% like stock price increase. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's like the three lines and that's kind of stands for six, six, six. It's a lot of numerology going on in that can. I actually have, yeah. seen the ridiculous like conspiracy theories about that. That was a uh, classic thing when we were in like college, when we would watch like, Oh, look at these crazy Christians. It was bad whenever there was, not unanimous agreement that picketing outside of frat parties was probably a bad idea with you're going to hell signs. So yeah, it was a, that was a lively debate. Fun times, man. Plus plus the other, the live streaming of the Ken Ham, Bill Nye, the science guy evolution or not debate. (laughs) 
we gotta we gotta just hear both sides out folks you know and and uh what is college not a place for open debate yeah oh man <laughs> anyways so a few days ago I went and saw The National live for the first time. Have you seen The National live, Jaren? I have through your Snapchat story that you sent me. You, you saw me just screaming Mr. November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, The National is probably a top five band of all time for me. I've been getting a lot of flack for saying that things are my top in my top five of movies, albums, bands. But this one I don't think is is an over-exaggeration. I think the national have become very important to me. And we saw them at actually where Bonus Mouse is playing in Boston, which is like a 3,500 cap venue. So bigger than like the medium venue, but not as big as like a big theater. And man, what a great show. I always had heard they're good live. Uh, I'd always heard that they have more energy than on the records. And they played just banger after banger. And every song was better, I think, than it is on the album. Because they just have so much energy live. I think like the drums really pop live. The guitar builds really pop live. 10 out of 10 concert. Bought a little poster. Bought the t-shirts, you know. That's how you know it was a good concert when you're like, I gotta hit that merch table. <laughs> yeah. Seeing a chance to see Taylor Swift's backing band side project uh <laughs> is a is a great opportunity. That's just, all you got. That's just, just, <laughs> you just wanted to laugh. get the Taylor Swift joke in there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, other music news. Didn't she like decline to do the Super Bowl halftime show? Ooh, I had not heard that. I feel like she's the white whale for the NFL at this point now, where it's like, we got to get Swift on stage. She's like, no, I'm too busy re-recording Mean. Yeah, I think it would be interesting, the the politics of it, because she's probably pissed off enough conservatives that... uh, you know, it, would she really be the perfect pick anymore? Definitely, like five years hmm. ago, she was. That's a good point. the the most the, the most perfectly aligned NFL demographic crossover. <laughs> yeah, the pop country star. Yeah, but um, now it's like based on uh, what party you vote for, you have to either be mad about somebody or uh, fully support them wholeheartedly. Yeah, and then and then Taylor Swift had to go and have the most. Uh, carbon emissions from private jet travel of literally anyone <laughs> last year. There's definitely people who are mad just about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm mad about the thing you said, cause I'm cool. <laughs> that was, a, that was a quick side check, but uh, one, one final piece of music news for me is uh, rest in peace to Pharaoh Sanders jazz legend. Pharaoh Sanders just passed away. Uh, I know he was like very recently uh, kind of big on on our, I guess, music radar because he did that that Floating Points album with the London Symphony Orchestra. Beautiful album. Got me more into his back catalog. I just been kind of aware of him as a old jazz guy. That definitely got me more respect for the man. Yeah, I had missed that news. Um, you got to and- be scrolling through Pitchfork more, buddy. <laughs> I got to be. Yeah, that that Floating Points London Symphony Orchestra album was was really good. You just love to see a a big like jazz performer get a, a little time in the spotlight. 
Speaking of jazz, I <laughs> randomly caught a fun little jazz open mic night situation going down at my local craft beer purveyors. Oh, yeah. Was it a brewery? No, it was a. Uh, okay. It was a growler guy's. Oh, okay. <clears throat> that does sound like a place that would have a jazz open mic night. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't exactly know how it works, but they had a a like a backing band and then a rotating list of of vocalists or signature instrumentalists. Oh, the backing band was like great. Bass player was standout. Some highlights. Let's see here. First of all, we had like what I'm calling Seattle's Frank Sinatra. He had a. It was really probably more like Seattle's Nat Cole. Like he had mm. like a lower voice, but he was really good. But the funny Very thing was, silky. yeah, he knew he was like the best person there, and so he finished one song. And he was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna do a second one. Any any requests?" And then like the person running the thing was like, "No, you can't do two in a row. Any <laughs> you got more people. Oh, you can't do two in a row. The classic <laughs> from 1968. You can't do two in a row. <laughs> exactly." Um, and then we also, there was, uh, somebody who did, he did two songs over the night. Oh, okay. So um, he spaced them out. He was following the rules. Yeah. But he did ones that were more, I would say like Tom Waits, like esque, where it was very abstract. Okay. Um, which was, you know, kind of cool, but also like know your audience, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Then there was, oh, one of my favorite, one of the first was like this uh, dad daughter and the dad was like, clearly like a rock guy, but I think he was just, he he was like singing the song and just really to give his daughter a chance to like have like a, like she was playing like the guitar backing for it. And oh, that's nice. It was really sweet. But yeah. And uh, oh yeah. And then the, I think the, the, the organizer of the whole thing, he played flute. He was a flautist. So he, he played this like flute riff and he was like, do you know what that is? And people were like trying to figure out the song. And he was like, that's the sound of Captain Kirk falling in love. What? <laughs> Apparently every time Captain Kirk falls in love in Star Trek, there's this like flute that plays. Okay. All right. And <laughs> deep cut, buddy. Yeah. Again, deep guy, cut. <laughs> guy who runs a jazz open mic night. He's like, hey, do you guys remember this from Star Trek? <laughs> All right, man. No, exactly. So yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a riot. It was fun. Now I'm like, I need to learn some random jazz songs so I can sit in. You got to learn a couple just like jazz riffs, and then uh, just play those over and over again, spaced apart enough that people don't don't realize what you're doing. Yeah, green sleeves. (laughs) That's about it. You got to learn those little like, you know, like those oh, little yeah. runs where you throw in the, uh, the jazzy there's, notes. There's the, like the riff, which is like a meme riff <laughs> that people do. Yeah. Can you do that with your mouth? Do it. Da, do da, it. Da, 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 da. That's it. You gotta, you gotta jazz it up a little bit. You can't just go ba 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 ba. You're missing the last note. Ba 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 ba. There you go. That is the do, lick. Do, 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 Yeah, you can do it jazzy? fast. You can do it slow. You can kind of drag mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So that's the lick. <clears throat> I mean, what's more popular? The <laughs> Captain Kirk falls in love riff or <laughs> or the lick. There you go. All right. Well, that's just our n- new assignment is to slip the lick into. Don't say slip the lick. <laughs> uh, Don't say that. All right. <laughs> Jared, what have you been listening to lately? Uh, the new Built Spill album just hey, came out. Just came out. I, I also was listening to that. It actually came out like two weeks ago. And then I was like, oh, we could talk about it this week. And then I was like, <laughs> no, we are not recording this week. Yep. So, yep. I was uh, buying sushi and I was wearing my Keep It Like a Secret shirt and I got a compliment from a, a fellow 30 something. <laughs> hey, dude, nice shirt. Dude. I love doing that to like other dudes that are approximately my age. I, there was a guy, he uh, was a waiter at like the a restaurant in my neighborhood. And he had a Menzinger shirt. And I was like, dude, sick shirt, dude. And he was like, oh, thanks, man. Uh, you know, that, that just made his day. He's like, I put, I put on that shirt. And he's like, I hope somebody knows the Menzingers. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it made my day. It's the whole point of having the shirt. <laughs> it's the whole point. To find other 30-something guys to go and like, oh, dude, my shirt. My entire, my entire wardrobe is craft, <laughs> craft brewery. Merch or band merch. Hold on. It is it is like 7 a.m. on the West Coast. You are wearing your Rainier hat. What's the t-shirt, Jared? Show me the t-shirt. Oh, uh, this is my KEXP donor <laughs> music heels shirt. So see, you're on brand. There we go. But you know, I try to layer it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mix, throw it, mix throw it flannel in, mix on it top out. of that shirt. Keep it keep it Seattle real. That's Seattle right. fashion was just an Esquire magazine. Wow. I mean, it's just your style, right? <laughs> kind of. The article title was, uh, we have to stop pretending that Seattle is in a fashion force or something like that. <laughs> and then you're really... like, I wear black jeans with black boots, a brewery t-shirt, and a, mm. a flannel. <laughs> yeah. Every day. The, the, the gist of the article is that Seattle's anti-fashion uh, sense <laughs> is, is actually making it fashion. <laughs> This is like when everybody watched The Bear and they were like, dude, check out these white t-shirts. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right. But we essentially, can, we can Seattle fashion boils down to, you, you got your grunge, you got your, your gorb, I think is what it's called. Gorb? Yeah. Gorb. Okay. Which is essentially wearing outdoor performance wear as fashion. Oh, okay. That's also like, a Boston thing. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's fair. Um, and then you got your graffiti, which crosses over from gore because some graffiti artists like customize random like North Face jackets they find at Goodwill, and that has become its own like streetwear kind of scene. So, <laughs> um, but those okay. are all Seattle uh, Seattle fashion touchstones, apparently. Okay. Did you know you were so fashionable? I did not. <laughs> no. Wearing wearing like a North Face jacket. See, <laughs> it it only counts as fashion if you do it semi ironically, and I definitely do it a hundred percent. Non ironic. Yeah. What's the opposite of irony? <laughs> uh, sincerely. Sincerity. Yes. Mm. 
Mm. So I think I missed the boat. Um, but you know, whenever we do our like tour and we have to actually be cool, like now I, I just know fall back on how that. To, yeah. I know how to, to, to punch it up just a little bit. <laughs> layers, layers, <laughs> black boots. But anyway, built to spills new album. When the wind forgets your name. Uh, I like it a lot. Um, the lead single yeah. off of it. I wasn't entirely sure how I was going to like the whole album. Um, because I would say the characteristics of Built to Spill, amazing guitar playing that is understated. Mm-hmm. It's it's great tone. It's really interesting riffs. Whenever you like think about them, like and you like uh, listen with trying to figure out like how you would play that, you realize like oh that's like hard, um, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like showy. Yeah. It's not just crazy riffing and virtuosic playing. Um, and then kind of like Dinosaur Jr., you've got vocals that are just a little off kilter, like a little, um, maybe it takes a little getting used to. It's a, it's a higher like vocal range. But um, yeah, so th- those are the, the things that kind of all together come together. And the best Built to Spill albums I mean, I, and from a lyric side, like usually it's, I don't know. I don't really pay like the, the lyrics never like speak <laughs> really closely to me, but, uh, so yeah, as, as far as this album, the lead single, uh, gonna lose, um, I wasn't really sure it, it leaned a little more into the, um, vocals than you know at first i thought but i think that's like the thing is the the vocals grow on you as you listen to it more and also in the whole context of the album uh it was fine i I, like the the single the gonna lose is not my favorite part of the album but sure um it it, it's a good it's the opener and it it kicks things off um i just like love the energy of the album and I think it's a really solid, I think it fits in the top, if, if you're going to make like a top five of Built to Spill's nine albums, it's definitely in the, the top half. So Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I always love when a band comes back after like a, a little time off and, and really makes a stellar album. I had a lot of the similar thoughts and I think where you also see some similarities between Dinosaur Jr. and Built to Spill and Modest Mouse and all those is a little bit of country influence, which I think... I didn't really recognize when I first started listening to them, but this new album has a lot of that like kind of cleaner guitar with a little tram on it and, and leaning into the kind of country aspects of their, their songs. And I think it works great with uh, Doug Marsh's voice. I, I think it, it works great in terms of like a slightly new sound for built to spill. Uh, And I, I went back and listened to some of their older albums after I, listened to the the new one and like i realized i was kind of overlooking it in some of their old stuff too you know they have a lot of the bigger uh breakdowns and the the huge guitar swells that that you know they kick on the distortion and blast it out and i still think that country aspect is is in there on their older work and it's just a little more uh emphasized i felt like on the new album at least that was that was my takeaway from listening to is like it's a little more chill 
little more laid back country kind of, of feeling, but it, it was a nice change of pace for my built to spill experience. Yeah, I definitely get that too. You know how sometimes you build up like a mythology of a band in your own head and you have no idea if it's like real or not. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I'll just share my sharing time. So sharing, the, I have a good built to spill story too. So you go first. The built to spill, like their, their name. Every time I think of it, I always think of there, there was like this cup that I don't know if it was like Pythagoras, like some like Greek philosopher or something had it where it it essentially had i forget what the the design concept is called but the way it works is you fill it up like halfway and it works just like a cup but if you fill it up all the way it it reaches a level like it works like a toilet where the whole thing like flushes out and it uses the siphon power you know of liquid to like draw all of the liquid out and it spills Mm -hmm. it on you and that so its concept is like to you know be a moral lesson on greed you know like you can fill it up halfway you're fine but if you fill it up all the way and that so essentially that cup it's built to spill on you oh and 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 you're like this specific story that i heard once is probably also a specific story that indie rock band built to spill heard exactly midnight like early (laughs) 1990s or late 1980s yep exactly i and 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 so it's one of those like i'm I'm just gonna pretend that i'm so smart that i figured that out <laughs> you go on wikipedia and it's like no <laughs> they 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 had a solo cup with a hole in it and they said hey this one was built to spill and that was it you know i mean that that's not on the wikipedia i'm looking right now but it's probably something more along those lines uh the first time i saw it built to spill i was like 17 and i went to Lufest. And that was that was a big pull, man. For the first Lufest, they had built to spill like in the the late afternoon. It was a good good gig, but I saw the drunkest guy I think I've ever seen at a concert in my entire life at built to spill at like five p.m. Because this dude like was like playing pinball in the crowd, and the band at some point like had to stop and go, "Hey, somebody needs to, like get this guy out of here," because he was like. He would like bump into somebody and then go ricocheting off in the other direction and like stumbling around. And it, he almost made his own like circle pit, you know, because like everybody kind of was like moving away from him. Like, and he was maybe eight people back from the front of the stage. And the band was like, Is this guy okay? Is he, is he stable enough to be here? Uh, and so, yeah, that was a, that was a great built to spill memory. An awesome, awesome live show at a, festival and the drunkest guy i've ever seen at a festival so win-win way to go way to go st louis all right i think we had one more new album to talk about this week which was god save the animals by alex g a big fan of alex g uh i think i started listening to him around when rocket came out so that was probably like five years ago uh, and I, I, I've listened to a bit of his back catalog. He's got a lot of albums, man. The dude puts out music like crazy. And uh, House of Sugar was definitely one of my favorite albums of like 2018, whenever that album came out. Uh, huge fan of that. There was actually a, uh, a live track on that recorded in St. Louis, I believe at Blueberry Hill Live, where Chuck Berry used to play all the time. So that's cool. 
Uh, but this new album, God Save the Animals, I was really into the singles when as they were coming out. And it, it had a good mixture of his very poppy, indie, folk kind of stuff. And also his darker, more modulated vocals. And I was like, man, this album, it's got a lot of good songs going on. And I think they work even better in the context of the album. I think in terms of like full albums of his, uh, it's probably the most polished. It, it's front to back. I think like very cohesive. It, it flows in and out of like the poppiness into like the, the darker, weirder stuff. And I think overall as a, as a album, it's maybe my favorite Alex G album. Maybe. I don't know. What's your take? It's high praise. High so praise. I have not, I've not listened to it all the way through yet. So God I will reserve my, my, um, critiquing. <laughs> you had one job, Jared. Yeah. It's been a week, man. It's been a week. Um, but I can 100% concur with you on uh, his uh, back catalog. Um, I'm trying to remember how I first first heard about him. I think, you know, he, he was featured on the Frank Ocean albums. I didn't Did even know, know about that. that. No. Yeah. Yeah. So he was on both Endless and uh, Blonde. Wow. And they... Uh, it, it it it's really interesting in that context you know how, how his music worked and then he released like rocket after like he got some exposure from that oh okay and um and and it was funny like hearing rocket because you're like it it didn't really sound like <laughs> endless or blonde but then when you thought about it more like you could kind of see like, yeah the connection there and blonde and, does a lot of that like weird vocoder kind of yeah. you know artistic expression through auto-tune and things like that so you can see the influence as well there yeah yeah so and and i'll just say like alex g's songs they just have like a knack for like the melody just is the way he presents the melody uh just drills into your head and i just find them like super in in trancing songs like they mm -hmm. They just stick with me really well. Yeah. And I think like his chord progressions also have that kind of like they get lost almost like they're going in so many different places and then it comes right back to the center of it. And you're like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? And you like realize how long of a journey the chord progression went on. I just I think he's a, a really fantastic songwriter. And I find like some bands like String Machine or. uh what's what's that black country new roads yeah sure yeah um kind of like doing similar things but i still think alex g he's the og yeah and he's been at it for a while now that he's influencing a lot of people you know i mean you, mm -hmm. you mentioned he worked with uh frank ocean so that's a pretty big person to be influencing in your young career but yeah a lot of the new bands that are doing kind of folk rock uh, indie music, a lot of people have been inspired by Alex G because he's been putting out a lot of good music for a long time. All right. Well, I will update once I do get a chance to Please spend do. some time. Please. I'm begging you. Spend some time on God Save the Animals. I think it's going to maybe make my top five albums of the year already, and I've only listened to it like twice. So, hey, can only go up from there. Mm -hmm. This is like the like 
Oscar bait season <laughs> of music releases too. Like yeah, everyone's true. like, we release right now. It's you get the recency bias. Right when the end of the year lists hit, everyone's like, oh yeah, that that album was great because I just listened to it for the first time like two months ago. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is the time to release a weepy drama or your magnum opus like uh, concept album. Absolutely. Okay, I think you go first this week. All right. So, respiration. Got another riff. Another week, another riff. We still need a riff for the riff respirations, I think. Once we have our own riffs, like like our own like classic song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we have to have a single first. What what is what will that be? Guess we'll find out. <laughs> um, no, I uh, sat down to play. And uh, I don't know, just banged one out this week. And so I was playing with like, you know, my guitar pedals. And I had like, I was like, oh, I like how this sounds. Like I had a, I got an opportunity to like have the house to myself. So I cranked my, my little Marshall style amp and was just getting all of this like amp distortion, which I don't normally get to like play with and was really enjoying that. And uh, then I was like, well, okay, this little thing that I'm playing, like, it sounds good. And then I'm like, okay, I could turn this pedal on and it sounds like this. What if I put two fuzz pedals on? (laughs) Exactly. But essentially it was like, well, now it sounds kind of built to spilly. And then I like put the other pedal on like, oh, now this sounds like a little dinosaur junior. (laughs) It's just funny how like my mind goes to those places. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely ingrained in our both guitar playing and just music enjoying uh brains but i i did like take a second to like try and think critically like which one like serves this riff better like which one actually like makes it sound better not just like louder Mm. and i ended up going the dinosaur junior direction yeah and let's let's just be very clear to the audience this is the first time we're doing a repeat riffspiration it's not surprising to me that dinosaur junior was our first repeat uh, cause I probably have been close to picking it every time. Uh, so now that we've broken this barrier, uh, the possibilities are endless, meaning we can, <laughs> that opens up like 60 more respirations for us, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just keep going back to it. Every week it's a, it's the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> this one's called a jolly teacup. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I saw it as like an older dinosaur junior thing. And I was like, it kind of was uh, the cart, you know, what, what, what came first, chicken or the egg <laughs> cart before the horse situation. But right, right. I ended up listening a to a metaphor. lot of early dinosaur junior this, uh, this last couple of weeks because like of what I was playing and like enjoying it. So sweet. Um, yeah. Went with uh, the wagon. Is what that off green mind? wagon off of? <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm just gonna ask you. <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole segment called "What album is that on?" <laughs> this week on what album is that on? Hey, what album is that on? It is definitely on Green Mind. By the way, it's the opener nice. to Green Mind. All right. The other question is: Is is Green Mind was that a Lou Barlow Dinosaur Junior album or or not? All right, we'll do we'll do the research. We'll get back to you. But while you're waiting, <laughs> that's like a, a definite classic. 
uh, Dinosaur Jr. song. Like, incredibly, like, poppy and catchy and upbeat. Great tune. And we, we did do the research. Uh, Lou Barlow had departed just before this album was made. So this is the first post-Lou Barlow Dinosaur Jr. record. Until their reunion, like in 2006? Yeah, like, yeah somewhere around there, 2005, 2006. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Very cool. Uh, interesting that that, uh, when we were watching the music video, I noticed that it was specifically released for the J- Japanese music audience. Oh, really? It, it was a cool music video. It was like claymation, trippy kind of thing. I I always like imagine, like I want to meet like, you know that like subculture in, in japan that was just super into like harder indie rock <laughs> absolutely in the 90s like i bet they're cool cool folks yeah there were probably some cool like local bands in japan that were playing basements and inspired by dinosaur jr maybe we'll uh we'll have a crossover hit in, in japan that's that's got to be the move <laughs> all right you want to hear what i came up with
that what going on there that was spicy i i uh stupid (laughs) (laughs) but i i definitely get like the dinosaur junior vibe on the lead guitar uh but i I think the chord progression is really cool underneath it as well i think those two work together really really well and it's it, it kind of breaks down midway through and i thought that was really cool uh i also could have seen it going like almost like double time in there at some point like and uh i don't know there's a lot you uh, i say this all the time it feels like there's a lot already in there and there's a lot of places we could go with it if we started expanding it and trying to add lyrics and stuff like that and yeah it also it also seems to lend itself to some some vocals on top i i think that's uh maybe better than your other dinosaur junior track which i can't remember that might have won its own month <laughs> i don't think it did um, well, this one's I kind of recycled the uh, the old one into a new one, but yeah, I yeah, I had that thought too that actually this is more representative. And like the first one, like I kind of was trying to do Dinosaur Junior. This one just kind of naturally yeah. happened. So um, I was also really happy with my uh, like production on this one too. Yeah, um, I agree. I maybe it is just like. At finally getting to crank that amp <laughs> just sounded better but uh, yeah i was really happy with like the sounds i was getting tones. and get uh, those yeah tones. Tone, man, get that tone. but uh i've also like it just helps so much like finally like kind of nailing my like bass stuff and also like the like drum i like i've been adding like a ton of compression on the drums and <laughs> it just helps has it helped mix better lot. yeah yeah um yeah I, I mean doing hopefully i mean i think it's a good thing but hopefully i'm like breaking every rule with <laughs> actually producing good music but <laughs> finding like a way to actually just make it the final product sound yeah. good yeah and i think so. we're finding our own little niches of like production which i think is fun too right doesn't really matter at the end of the day because hopefully somebody else will take care of all of that. <laughs> yeah, but us. it also helps us with like our composition skills, I think, is yeah. being able to layer things and throw it like, oh, this sounds good, but what if I throw this on top and then this on top yeah. and then this on top? It makes me just more excited to like yeah. feel like I like how that sounds. Even if like some, I mean, I've done that before where like I was really happy with how it sounded, but the song itself wasn't like great. Yeah. And I think happened. decent production can help an idea pop a little more for sure Mm -hmm. all right well excellent oh yeah i don't think i said what that one was called (laughs) actually i don't know if i should (laughs) it's called i don't respect women weird it's a hip hipaa violation (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what i'm gonna that's actually what it's called it's called hipaa violation okay yeah it's called you can't (laughs) ask me that (laughs) yeah (laughs) wonderful Big fan. Big fan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, my, so I almost went with Built to Spill on my respiration as well. Uh, actually, I almost went Alex G as well. So uh, just to give a little more context as to what I've been listening to, uh, I ended up going with Soccer Mommy because I've been listening to a ton of Soccer Mommy. We're seeing her in November. And I think she pulls from a lot of those 90s alt rock influences and indie rock influences and i've always been impressed by her chord progressions and and kind of making riffs out of really interesting chord progressions 
And what really drew me to, I guess, start writing the song that I ended up writing uh, was some of her acoustic guitar work and stuff on uh, Blossom, Wasting All My Time, off of the, the album Clean. She's such a good guitar player. Yeah, so I think this song doesn't really sound all that much like the song I ended up going with. But I, I started with kind of a, a weirdly resolving chord progression on my acoustic and built from there. And, and I think she does a good job of layering kind of those abstract chord progressions that have a little bit of uh i, I don't know what the term is it's like the the chord in that that specifically latches on to me is like one of those two verse chords that she uses uh it, it's but it's got like a few like off notes in there that just make it sound kind of like unresolved and so i tried to do that and it, i i also realized that i stole from myself which i love when we like we both kind of did that this week <laughs> where I, I stole some chords from another song I wrote that we didn't pick, but I really liked, and it could potentially lead to some more playing around with those two different uh, songs in the same key with similar chords. So I like that aspect of it too. I'm interested if you'll figure out which one I stole from. So I I can't place which which one of your earlier riffs, but let's <laughs> let's let's not uh let's you, you'll let me know that here in a minute. But there's so much going on. So the my thought process initial like first thought I, I'll just I'll just go through run them down. Like I th I thought, but immediately I was like, oh, I totally hear like the Alex G like acoustic guitar type thing. And then your electric came in, and I was like, whoa that recontextualizes it. And I heard like at first, like Nels Klein from like Wilco mm. and, and then like, I did make it super like, okay. fuzzy. Like I, I, I can, threw the bias <laughs> up on the fuzz and it's kind of breaking up. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, I could, but the, but then that shifted. Um, and as it kind of like, you know, your multiple electric tracks kind of converged and it was just like rocking along for a while. And then like those, yeah, the kind of off kilter chord choices, like 
were awesome. Like they just, they really came through and like made it like interesting. Yeah. While still be having like energy and drive. And that almost reminded me more of like kind of Brit pop. Like, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, um, like blur or yeah, something like yeah. that. I'm not going to, so, it doesn't sound like Oasis, but <laughs> yeah. And so, and then that's kind of where I landed at, at the end of it. And I mean, I do hear like the, I mean, soccer mommy's doing some of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think she just but, she does a lot of like she does take a lot of those same influences and turns it into something that yeah. is her own style. And I think I've always been very inspired by her compositions in general. And, and so, yeah, whereas I don't think it ended up sounding all that much like specifically that soccer mommy song or any other specific soccer mommy song. I think pulling all those different elements together to make, it, you know, your own kind of uh, sound was very inspiring to me overall. Definitely. Definitely. Um, at the end of the day though, really fun. Like really like that. Yeah. And I got new strings on my acoustic. That was part of the reason I used <laughs> the acoustic. I just, I was going to line in and then I was like, Oh no, I'm just going to record this with the, uh, with the mic because I don't know. There's something about an acoustic with on a mic, especially like a nice Martin, which is what I have that keeps kind of that bassiness of the big dreadnought body absolutely kind of roots the song. So I, I don't know, yeah. just the acoustic part of it. I could keep going for a little longer. I really like that acoustic run and I like how it yeah. builds up. And I, I think, yeah, it's like a minute and a half long, but I think there's definitely more, more in yeah. there, more build, more build. Yeah. Once I realized that like acoustics, that the sound that I hated about acoustic came from like the pickup sound of it and right. And then like, it just sounds like the right way to do it is just to mic it. Yeah. And I mean, you can do a little bit of where you do both and then you get a little of the clarity if you know, and that helps mostly just because it's hard to like have a perfect acoustic room. To yeah. But yeah, I, I thought your acoustic sounded great on that. Um, I, I was just, you know, I was imagining like building that song in the studio just now, which is such a cool thing to get to picture like, yeah. that we're actually going to get to do that. But it seemed real that like we could add those layers and it would turn into something really good, you know, and part of this whole process has been honing those skills so that we could do something like right that. right i think it's just oh you start with a little chord progression and you add a riff on top of it and then you add another yeah. guitar track on top of it and then it's like you can start building with those blocks yeah. of each part of the song i totally agree yeah like at first i think i kind of thought like no we, we're, we're gonna like get down to where we have our songs we just know them we go and we play them <laughs> but i mean hopefully we get the chance to like do a little bit of that in studio building because think that could work really well and and yeah. i mean maybe we ha you know it probably will be we'll have good structure but then like we'll just be like no you know what in the moment this is what we want to add to it and we'll see yeah Hopefully and, that turns and, and i well. think kind of like rehearsing beforehand with like a most of a song written and then try and find those places to differentiate the song whether it's another piece or it's a, a breakdown or some you know key change if we want to do something stupid uh 
Yeah, I think there's still a lot of room there to keep building these songs. And that, I think, ultimately is what makes them exciting is they're not like a song that we're like, yeah, yeah, that's done. Okay, song done, moving on. It's like just getting those ideas out there and starting to build on them. You can start to see a song taping, taking shape. And even the ones we've thrown away, you know, we have all that stuff that we like about them and that maybe with more work, we'd like them even more. So, you know, there's there's a lot of... There's a lot of worthwhileness to just laying down your thoughts and trying to build on them rather than like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then forgetting about it, which is what I've done for 90% of my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. For real. All right, Jake. Sweet man. We did it. We made some more music. <laughs> it it felt, good. felt good to get back in the saddle because it's been a few weeks since I sat down and recorded something and I just knocked it out in like two hours. I was like done. Yeah. Yeah. That's always fun. It there's always that like creeping fear in the back of my head. Like, what if we just get like bored of this and like, you know, stuff comes up and like two weeks are like, I, oh, I can't do it, man. And like, Oh man, well this week I can't do it. Yeah. And then we're just like, eh, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, we just get I, back I think the there. fact that it's so fun helps us prioritize it. And it's like, Hey, we got to knock this out. I know it's a lot of work, but it's going to ultimately be fun. All right. Well, what did we learn this week? I, did we learn anything? Uh, we, we learned that jazz open mic nights are just as they sound. Yeah. And uh, we learned Jared doesn't do his homework, which is listening to the albums he's supposed hey, to listen Jake to. Jake doesn't do his homework of picking 90s albums either. So. <laughs> That's all we learned is just like subtle digs <laughs> at each other. Uh, subtle digs. All That's right. a good song, well, man. Can't wait to see you next week. Jim. Yeah, dude. We'll, we'll uh, talk soon. <laughs> <laughs>